Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Stjold. Today I am talking to the actor, writer and director, Ergan Rees. Hi Ergan, how's things? Hey Kieran, they not too bad, not too bad at all under this weird circumstance. You coping okay with lockdown? Yeah, I, I, I feel quite fortunate, I think. Um, and got some supportive people around me to keep things light and fun in these dark times. Which is what we need, I think. It needs to, you know, not take things too seriously or listen to too much of the news. Just kind of stay in the moment. Um, I wanted to start at the beginning, if I can. How did you first get interested in theatre and, and what opportunities were available to you growing up? Um, so I guess I was quite late in um, venturing into the arts with it being uh, as a profession um, but yeah my mum took me to see quite a lot of stuff in Candidno Venue Company right. and I remember the first show that I saw, I think I was about eight or nine, uh, and I saw Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoats, and it, uh, something, a couple of things kind of awoke, awoke in me, awakened yeah. in me, even, um, and I think that was sexuality, was one, mm. and Manchester in Theatre was the other. Um, and I know it was even eight or nine, but it did definitely um, planted a seed. And from then on, really, I, you know, I was asking my mum to come see a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and we'd venture further, you know, to Manchester to see some uh, musicals and stuff. Right. And and then, apart from that, then I I studied. Uh, drama for GCSE and A level. So started to explore different forms then, and started to explore and look into different practi- practitioners. Um, and, and was it kind of at A level that you started to think about it as kind of a thing that you wanted to do professionally? Theatre acting courses, right. um, even 
a musical theatre course. So I knew I wanted to be in the arts, but not really knowing where to place myself within the arts. Um, or really knowing, I didn't really know why. I never right. really asked myself, why do I want to do it at that time? Um, were, you, were you writing at this point? Were you interested in writing quite early um, on? No, it was more the performative side of it. Um, I was really interested in performing. Um, and I knew that I quite, in A-level, I was introduced to Artsaud and Brecht. Mm. And, yeah, they were, and Krasowski as well. Um, they really, you know, really inspired me and they stayed with me and struck a chord. Um, I just, yeah, opened my mind, really, to other ways of telling um, so, yeah, no, I hadn't started writing then. Writing came in university. And, and you went to the University of South Wales, yeah? Yeah, I did the theatre and media, I think it was called at the time. In... Um, in Camargoth is Meg. Uh, so I, it was advertised as by the Wolf. Um, right. But ended up doing it completely set in Welsh, um, and I'm really glad for that. How, how do you think it kind of developed you as an artist? I think the strength of the course was how it made you really investigate and interrogate your identity, mm. um, and to embed that into kind of uh, the, the heart of whatever you created. Um, and yeah, yeah. The what was great about the course as well was how you know Sarah Moore, who's the leader of the course and who's a brilliant playwright, practitioner, theatre maker, um, just really encouraged you to create your own work and mm. to challenge form, to challenge the liveness of theatre, and yeah, and to really bring yourself into it as much as you could identity culture you were a part of um your history everything yeah um so yeah it, it was really informative um, and it was a hotbed really of stuff that was thrown at us you know from um different practitioners to different styles and roles within theater writing directing performing stage management even and, and were there yeah. things in there that you hadn't perhaps considered before? Well, I think writing was one of them. Um, yeah, I remember in my second year, we had, we had to choose a module, uh, our modules for that year, and yeah. writing came up. And it was quite often, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I love to tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, so... I made the choice to to do that, and um, I really enjoyed that module. Was Sean Summers teaching on that module? It was Ian Staples. Staples, he was fantastic. He taught me in uni as well. Well, I don't know how you found him, but for me, he really encouraged me just to write, and it doesn't matter what the kind of outcome of that writing is, as long as you're writing, 
You yeah. will improve over time. Yeah, yeah, I really like steaks, um, and although we kind of disagreed at times in terms mm. of, you know, how the process should be, I remember, <laughs> I remember he wanted me to write, like, a beat-by-beat beat, um, for for an idea, yeah. and I was like, I, I, I can't tell you what the beat-by-beat beat is until I start writing, because um, I just want to, at the time, I wanted to run with yeah. the characters and and wherever they were headed, but um, it did, I think I, I've definitely done a process since where I have done a beat by beat for the whole thing. Um, so it does work sometimes, but not all the time. Is your process kind of different depending on the project? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and yeah, every day I really I question which one do I favour or which one do I feel more comfortable or more skilled at. Um, but yeah, no, it really does depend on the project. Like I've, I've done a kind of tr- traditional process, writing process. Mm. Uh, so with Wolf, for example, that was a, a drafting process um, with maybe some time in the room with the actors um, to then develop it with them and then further drafting. To then a process with um, my own company, Company Play N. Um, where we worked with the community mm. um, and you know looked into a few themes and from those workshops with the communities and those themes and then kind of constructed something in response to that. And I, I wanted to ask you about community and like how did you form Plan initially and, and what were your aim, aims when you started? Um, I developed an idea on my own in university as part of a module but you had to work independently by yourself mm. um, and I really liked what I started to explore and for the first time as a performer because we been performing the piece as well I really felt something and it unlocked kind of emotional truth um, and there was something in that form that really stuck, stuck with me. So um, I then developed that piece outside of university after I graduated. Um, did that with some support from the Sherman. And then I realised at the end of that phase I wanted a director to come in and support me. So that's when I invited Geth in. And we worked together on the piece uh, which was called Heist Voice, which was Plian's first piece. Right. And yeah, we realised that we really, really loved working together. Um, uh, and similar interest in the type and style of work that we wanted to create. Mm. Uh, um, and I guess we wanted to create something that possibly didn't really exist in Wales as well. Um, Playing with the form a little bit and the structure of what you were creating, would you describe yeah. it as kind of more experimental rather than your kind of traditional naturalistic plays then? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, then was a place to experiment and to trial and to 
investigate um, mm. for and yeah and I think each piece made by Plien had its own form really um, although had its Plien stamp on it as well mm. yeah. and yeah the, the pieces Geth and I have created together with Plien has definitely been really informative in terms of you know every piece I venture towards now I definitely question its form all of the time right. um, does the story justice and also the other way around. Uh, especially I saw Mags, which was at the Sherman. Was it the year before last or last uh, last year? Yes, that was the second version of it last year. And the year before you had its kind of first version of. It was a long old, old process, Mags, yeah, and as it should have been. Can you talk a little bit about that process and how it came about? Yeah, of course. Um, so the idea itself was inspired by our first production, Chais uh, Voice, because um, after my mum and Gethin's mum saw that piece, um, they met for the first time, and my mum said to Gethin's mum, "Gosh, my mum and Tamla Popek," which mm. is gosh, mums feel everything, and that, yeah, stuck with death for me, and we knew that we wanted to create a piece that explored what is it to care so much for someone, um, and you feel everything that they feel, um, and then that was, you know, the springboard, uh, the thing that we were going to spring from, um, and we knew we wanted to work with city of communities to explore that and communities from different backgrounds and from different areas in Wales mm. um, so we then approached a few groups uh, including Kind, which is a group of women in their 60 plus um, who meet once a month in Carnarvon in galleries to move um, Transform Cymru who are a group of young people uh, who are uh, experiencing or having have experienced transitioning, um, and then you have Dad's Can, which is a group, a charity um, set up for vulnerable dads mm. in um, Newport. Um, so they were the, they were the core groups that we came back to, uh, but we met a lot of groups and individuals. Yeah. And yeah, we just explored care, family, community uh, with them really in different ways. Um, and it was a, you know, a two-year process really of workshops with them, and then workshops with professional artists, then um, looking at the same themes yeah. and bringing those two things together physically yeah. at times. Um, and then generating a piece that spoke to everyone that was involved and wider than that as well, hopefully. Was it any of it verbatim? Uh, it was not verbatim. I think, was there a couple of... Yeah, there, there was a couple of things lifted in the first version. In the first version, I think there was. There were even voices. Yeah, yeah. There are even voices 
and of the participants in the production, um, there's a beautiful letter that played a massive, crucial part to the piece, uh, written by one of the dads he worked with. Mm. And yeah, there was something really special about his voice being present in the production, and and you know his voice travelling from the Sherman Theatre in Cardiff to Gallery in Carnarvon to then London, mm. the Cockpit Theatre. Um, there was something really special in that, and how you know the power of theatre could really transcend voices. Yeah, and like be received, I guess, in a similar way in three very different locations with three very different cultural identities that they can all identify with the themes of the piece that you created. um, And was it a challenge to collate the material that you had into a structured piece? Gosh, it was, yeah, it was huge because there was so much, um, you know, and there was a, a point in the process where I was just, I want to tell everybody's stories, or there's, you know, a thousand versions of this, there are a thousand stories here, um, yeah. and we had to come back to what's the story that we want to tell, um, and... Yeah, it, there was loads, loads of material, um, and I think even though not everything kind of made it into the piece, I hope, and I, I know that some of the people that we worked with feel that they, their spirits are in the piece, uh, um, and they can identify themselves, and they can see the, the, themselves being reflected in the piece, be that from a movement that they've seen, yeah. or a lyric in the song, or even just a melody, or, you know. I, I think community theatre, for want of a better phrase, like that is so important, just for people to see themselves represented on stage, and to feel that their experience is portrayed or replicated replicated in an authentic way i think that's yeah. really important yeah and definitely like you know I, I was saying earlier about not really knowing why i wanted to venture into the arts when i applied for the theater course and yeah. that is it's down you know the reason why i'm in it um I, i'd like to talk about woof um next Oh, what was the process of writing it like, and where did the idea come from? Mm. Yeah, so what was very different to Max. Um, Again, its process was a lot more traditional, I guess. Um, One that's more familiar to traditional writers, I guess. Um, But the idea itself was inspired by my first relationship with a man. it was not long after I came out, um, so that this relationship um, with another man who had been out and comfortably gay for longer than I yeah. had introduced me. He introduced me to a lot of stuff, new stuff in gay culture, um, 
and in a way it kind of overwhelmed me at the time mm. um, and Woof was inspired by that really um, and yeah Woof is a story about two people from just backgrounds um, who fall in love and who, who try to um, compromise and who try to coexist in a way right. um, you know you could say it's you could put it against England and Wales trying to coexist you know um, and I think even though it was, it was quite a specific story about two gay men from really specific places I think it well hopefully it transcended beyond that as well and spoke to no, um, where did you follow up on that? Like, um, did you draw from your own ex- um, drawing from your own experiences when writing the play? Was it difficult to separate that from creating a fictional story about two? Fictional characters. Yeah, I guess I think that was the the main journey really for me was to steer the story away from Elgar, and but for the heart of it to remain there. Mm. And yeah, I think there are a couple of references in Woof that still remain true, um, but the characters, you know, they had their own story fleshed out um, and they had their own choices fleshed out as well um, but yeah but I believe any piece that is fiction is, is there's, always, there's always going to be a grain of twist there every yeah. writer draws on an element of their own experiences yeah. to create anything totally uh, and were, were you conscious? I, I want to ask you really about the representation and the kind of visibility of uh, LGBT of the LGBTQ community in Welsh language theatre, because apart from apart from Wolf, um, and Northampton um. I think there was only Slice by Daft James before that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't have any authority to talk about this because I'm not part of that community. But I just think this is a fairly new thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was fairly new in terms of Welsh language theatre. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the three plays name there all uh, have gay men at the centre of the stories um, and I think we've come a long way really um, uh, in telling stories about gay men and it's really exciting we've got you know, The Inheritance which was massive uh, hit in London mm. uh, again a story about gay men but again more than that as well about history, culture and history you know you know, um, but I think there is definitely 
more to do for voices that are not just the G in the LGBT mm. community. Um, I feel like, you know, uh, gay women uh, isn't particularly much language. I haven't really seen work, apart from Beth and Marlo, who has written mm. some stuff, um, but I haven't seen like a story where main characters, the characters who drive it, are those voices. Um, I think there's definitely a way to go there. Do you think there's a reluctance to commission work like that from people like Theatre Can because of what their base audience is, perhaps, for a Welsh language place? Yeah, can you say, say that question again? Sorry. Is there a reluctance to commission this type of work from people like Theatre Can because of what their audiences generally and has been historically this kind of from what I imagine quite conservative West Angus theatre to me has always seemed far more socially conservative than English language theatre in Wales. Would you agree with that? always thought that, but in the last few years, and since moving to Cardiff, um, oh gosh, 10 years ago, um, I've, I've embraced classical culture a lot more, and attend, attending instead of more than I did when I was younger, and the audience is there, um, the audience who, who want the stories that are not your typical con- conservative, you know, what you expect. Um, the audience is there and wanting and hungry for it, definitely. Um, I, I don't know where the floor sits, really, um, whether or not it's it's probably down to lack of opportunities for development yeah. for particular voices. Um, and, you know, more and more companies now are doing specific opportunities for, you know, Female writers or um, or LGBT schemes, yeah. um, I think. But then, for me, I think it's comparable for me as a disabled writer. You don't want to be pigeonholed just yeah. as Elgamis, the LGBT writer. You're writing. You want your writing to stand alone, even if you are writing about those themes. For me, at least, you don't want to be pigeonholed into those boxes. Yeah. So maybe there's a balance there to be found. Yeah, I think you're right. You're bang on. It's yeah. It feels like the Welsh art sector is finding that mm. balance. It's headed towards it. Um, I think some companies are succeeding better than others at that. Um, but. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and with Woof as well. I remember for a while when I did some interviews with the press about it, um, and they lead in with it. Oh, here we go! Is it is it is a gay love story? It's like, but you know what? It actually, it's just a love story. As yeah. Well. Um, and yeah, I, I'd say pigeonholing is not healthy. No, I I don't think so. Either. And, like, people frame, like, their preconceptions of a play before they go and see it, you know? 
they've just had the blurb and they think they know what to expect. Whereas the reality can be something completely different to what you're expecting. And that is part of the joy of theatre for me. Uh, I want to talk about Huawei, which was something that you created for City Yellow in collaboration with Poncha. Um, did, did you pitch this to Yolo or did they ask to work with you and, or what was the process in that collaboration format? So that was um, uh, a call out for Welsh language artists uh, to pitch an idea for um, works for families. Mm-hmm. So I pitched an idea and it was successful which was pretty cool and then was allowed, there was freedom to run with that idea and develop it. Mm. Um, and the idea was to work with families in North Wales, uh, simply look at the word play, chwarae, um, and all its kind of complexities within kind of a family unit. I was interested in communication within play between the adult and the child and how it progresses things or how it restricts or becomes an obstacle right. as well. Um, so it started in quite a, a you know, a vague start, um, but then working with these families who were amazing um, brought the specificity um, and the richness, uh, which then kind of made its way, hopefully, into the piece. Um, so that was quite a similar process to Mag's, I would say, um, mm-hmm. with families in Pontio. Um, and then collating all of these material and then I created a story I guess um, out of those materials and worked with two professional artists then Matt Goff and Arsalio who's a brilliant composer to create um, a sketch a piece it was initially a research and development phase which then went in to a full production. Um, it was commissioned by Lee Lightford, who is now the uh, new artistic director at Theatre Yolo. Um, and then, yeah, that process then brought in other professional artists to make it an even more authentic piece. Brought in the brilliant Caddy Lane and her design. Um, and brought in a new performer, Connor Allen, who's brilliant and generous. And Kerry James and his lovely lighting. And did you learn a lot from your audience when you created that piece? Absolutely. I mean, with young ones like that as well. Um, I love I love children's work for that reason because they, there's there's no bullshit. <laughs> They're so um, honest. If they don't like something, they will. They'll like just it. tell you. Yeah, if they're bored, they will say to their mum, their dad, grandma, or whoever, whoever's with them, their adult, they'll go, mum, I'm bored, what are they doing? What are they saying? Why are they saying that? Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I love it. And did you tailor bits of the show based on the responses that you got? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The development phase was really crucial to... Yeah, to test, I guess, performative ideas, because 
there's some of it which is interactive. Mm. Um, so that was really important. Uh, and and also, you know, concept of the show is it, I, I didn't want to patronise uh, the audience either. I wanted to create something that was really truth, truthful and yeah. honest. How did that interactive stuff work then? Um, I mean, from subtle to really hands-on playful. Mm. Um, so throughout the actual piece itself, um, you know, it was for me as kind of the story was was about this boy discovering and trying to find a new game after Mam was no longer there. Um, he needed to find a new game that he'd be able to play with Dad. Um, so we went on this massive, fantastical journey to find this game and met lots of different characters along the way. And on that journey, I would just engage with the audience. It was as simple and subtle as you know, checking in with them with my eyes. Yeah. And then at the end of the piece, um, we created like a, a play session that was also a part of the narrative as well. Mm. Um, so that was really interactive, you know. Um, there were soft balls going everywhere, adults <laughs> and children playing together, yeah. and it was a really the session I was really proud of because it basically reflected what the story was about. Was yeah. About adults and children compromising and finding their own game. Which I think we need more of. I think there's not enough play in society generally for kids or adults. Like it's not encouraged as something that's fundamental. But it absolutely is. Yeah. Um uh, I'm gonna move on slightly. Well, I talk about Savage Glass Neville. Ah, yes. Which you directed uh, for Brian Ran. And did, did Manon do the adaptation as well? Yeah, yeah, so Manon was the writer for the theatre piece as well. Were you involved in that adaptation process? Yeah, yeah, so we had a few um, research and development phases again to develop. The adaptation and um, and then Gethin Evans um, was as well as the artistic director for Ranwan offered his kind of dramaturgical brain as well. Right. Process. Um, so I guess it was the three of us who led that process. Uh, but then we had some phases of our dual actors as well, mm. um, which you know challenged and questioned and pushed the adaptation. What were the challenges of adapting the novel to a stage play? Yeah, I mean, I think the main challenge was, well, for me, the main challenge was to not, to not try and tell the story that's in kind of, to not try and reflect the book on stage. Yeah. But to find the story that exists within this theatre piece, what, what can we reinvestigate um, or heighten um, the theatre piece? Did you feel a sense of loyalty that you have to be loyal to a degree towards the source text? Absolutely, and I think um, what Manon's cleverly done is it feels like its own independent piece but still 
the magic of the novel remains in it as well. Um, and I guess what's really exciting about the stage adaptation was you 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 can see the dialogue, you can see a lot in the tensions between them mm. without words as well. Um, yeah. There was lots to explore physically there, um, especially as well because you know the book spans about ten years, um, so there's lots to to unpick there with the actors. Did you take a lot of the dialogue from the original text? Um, what did Manon do there? Manon wrote, I mean, it was all original right. material, uh, but inspired inspired by the book. Um, but there were moments in the theatre piece where there was direct address, which was uh, basically there their words in the book and there was a couple of things maybe lifted flashed yeah. after and, and like uh, was it easy to visualize the scenes within from reading the book could you say oh that is definitely the scene that i want to create on stage this is how i'm going to do it as a director or was it were there some sequences where you thought how the heck are we going to do this how the heck are we going to dramatise this? Yeah, I mean, when Manon and Brad Wen approached me um, to direct it, um, it definitely inspired a lot of ideas because it, it, the novel is full of, you know, so many elements. Um, my head was spinning with loads of ideas and different things you could do with form. Um, so I started to gather some ideas some which I, I, I felt like were the concrete mm. the script. like I know I knew Dwyn when and the the hair had to be of its own form um, so they became puppetry um, and you know the explosion this ambiguous explosion um, I was interested in exploring that in film, um, and then yeah, and then I brought other artists that I, I was excited by, um, designers, filmmakers, movement directors, mm. um, to help create quite an eclectic piece of theatre, um, and then some brilliant actors then, but which I'm really privileged to work with. Would you say that stylistically it was a combination of styles? Yeah, yeah. again, because I think what Manon um, offers with Hyukdas Nebo and offered for the piece was you had its kind of domestic setting um, between, you know, the mother and the son and then you had this post-apocalyptic world which was totally up for grabs and was an invite to create something quite abstract. Um, so you had those two things really coexisting, um, an abstract and domestic world together. That was exciting. And I guess you could play with the balance of those two things. Where did they sit in relation to one another? And how much of each would you show, or what aspects of each would you show on stage at any particular time? 
Totally. Yeah, and that was, I guess, one of the main challenges was to, um, yeah, to develop the, the journey of those two things. Um, and, you know, when they would exist, when they would coexist, to bleed into one another. Um, yeah, it, it, it was great. And, again, I had a wicked creative team to help pull that off. Um, yeah. The, the last thing I want to ask you is it, what advice would you give emerging creatives who are trying to break through into the industry? Or maybe what, what you wish you had been, what advice do you wish you had been given? Mm, it's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, the, the thing that stayed with me from universities. Sarah's attitude towards you have to create your own work mm. um, and I think I'd say don't be scared of creating your own work because I think it just reveals a lot of you know quite scary but exciting stuff about um, the kind of stuff that you truthfully want to make and you have to visit the question of why you're making as well um, uh. I think there's a sense for a lot of people that they will graduate and there will be work for them as actors. And then when they graduate, I think this is partially the fault of universities. Um, but I think there's the perception that there are jobs when there, there aren't. You've got to take the... And this is something I've learned fairly recently. You've got to take the initiative and start creating stuff and Absolutely. contact as well getting your name out there and finding I guess finding people to collaborate with who you trust and who you enjoy working with and Absolutely. with whom you develop you, you work well with and bounce off and develop good material with yeah yeah and I think you're trusting um your instinct along the way as well and responding to that truthfully um, is, yeah, is, is the way. And I think theatre is such a, uh, I mean, for me, it's a place to rethink and reframe and it gives time and space for that. Um, so, yeah, I think being proactive yeah. in, in the way yeah, being proactive and creating your own work, I think, is my main advice. Thanks, Elgin. It's been fantastic talking to you. You're welcome to that, no? You're welcome to that, no? On the next episode of In Lockdown World, I will be speaking to Dr. Branwen Davis about her career, so I look forward to catching you then. But now, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing 
on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.